In the last episode of Datapoint, Dr. Geraldine McGinty talked about the bright and fascinating future of radiology and integrated diagnostics. Today, we're going to peel another layer from that fascinating topic as we explore some specific ways that integrated diagnostics, backed by powerful data and AI platforms, are being used today to transform public health, and not just in what we'd consider to be the developed world. Hello and welcome to Datapoint, the podcast that's about all the ways that data and analytics are driving innovation in healthcare today. I'm your host, Greg Matthews, and our guest today is Mark Punyanita, a biomedical engineer and the co-founder and CEO of Phenomics. Just a week after winning the Advanced Diagnostics and Therapies Award at the Giant Health Competition in London, Phenomics has just announced a formal partnership with the Thailand Center of Excellence for Life Sciences to, quote, make matches between companies and research institutes in Thailand and the U.S. to encourage more interaction between different stakeholders in the industry, as well as fostering innovation and commercialization in the biomedical, life science, and medical device industries. Specific areas of focus include artificial intelligence, big data, and medical imaging, with potential projects including aging cohort studies, biobanking, and national dementia screening, as well as other highly prevalent conditions affecting the Thai and Asian population. Mark's viewpoint on the digital physical exam, portable MRI machines, and the value of full-body imaging are fascinating. I'm sure you'll enjoy this conversation with Mark Punyanita of Phenomics just as much as I did. Mark, thanks so much for being with us today on Datapoint. Thank you very much for having me. So tell uh, tell the listeners where you are right now as you're recording this, because you're a little hard to track down sometimes. <laughs> yes, I've been uh, traveling quite a bit over the last year, uh, commuting between uh, New York, Dubai, and Thailand. Um, I actually just came from the uh, conference in London uh, on the future of medicine. And uh, yes, I'm now here in Thailand, and it is... Uh, a little bit later in the evening, but I'm all good. I'm uh, okay with shifting time zones. So thank you for accommodating the time as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it's uh, I, I've been reading about your work and had an opportunity to talk to you about it a couple of months ago, and it was so fascinating. I'm really eager uh, for Datapoint listeners to get a chance to dive in. But before we talk about phenomics, can you give us a little bit of your own background? You know, you're leading this new company that's really uh, off to such an incredible start. How, how did you wind up there? Sure. So I'm a biomedical engineer uh, by education, and uh, I've got two masters. So I, I started doing uh, clinical trials uh, right away, uh, 20, years, uh, 20 years of global multicenter clinical trials. I started academic uh, in New York at Columbia University. And uh, we did all sorts of imaging techniques, whole body MRI, uh, DEXA, x-rays, things like that. And uh, I ended up spinning it out and uh, doing uh, pharmaceutical grade clinical trials, uh, biotech as well. But these were global trials, quantitative imaging. And mm. having seen uh, the whole digital health uh, environment ecosystem develop uh, while I was in New York, startup health. Blueprint Health, all the new accelerator incubators, and even uh, some of uh, New York City, uh, Mayor Bloomberg's uh, EDC programs for life science initiatives and SBIRs, I always felt, well, MRI is not uh, direct consumer. Uh, it's translational research. How can I do it? How can I even you know, move to SBIRs? 
Mm-hmm. So that was the first point of, of doing uh, commercial imaging outside of the academic environment because of sometimes that uh, academic industry uh, debate, shall we say. Um, but the next point from there uh, was uh, this maybe almost, uh, maybe we're coming towards digital health 3.0. Uh, started to see maybe uh, four or five years ago, uh, everybody started to move to remote data capture all of the apps, trackables, wearable devices that have come up. Uh, you started to hear about the Star Trek tricorder uh, being yep. invoked. But in my mind, well, it wasn't really scanning the body uh, or imaging the body more precisely. Uh, it was looking at mostly superficial signals. And then if you combine that with what goes on with the physical exam, maybe you take some blood work, maybe you do uh, some other things. Even if you do handheld ultrasound imaging, which is... Uh, uh, getting a lot of development, you're not really uh, looking inside the body, taking the pictures, making the measurements, um, doing the things that could be the most impactful in my mind, having mm-hmm. come from an imaging background. So that kind of led me to say, well, what can we do to essentially liberate imaging, uh, not just from the hospital, but maybe a little bit deeper inside the hospital, the radiology department, and then mm-hmm. uh, even deeper further the clinical trial industry. And I'll differentiate uh, clinical uh, diagnostic practice of of, uh, radiology where it is the uh, radiologist experience and expertise. I will never knock that. Uh, They are are just tremendously powerful to me. But Mm -hmm. um, in the uh, clinical trial side, uh, we very much worked on the standardization, uh, the reliability, the repeatability uh, for studies even up to 500 sites around the world. So mm. totally different mentality uh, of an N of one, uh, one person looking at one image uh, versus how can we harmonize the data? Do we need to send phantoms? Do we need to do translations? And do we need to actually go on the ground and get to the locations and get them to understand what we want in the end as an image and not just rely on what they do uh, at the scanner? And wow. by all means, they're the experts on the scanner. So I would go in and, you know... <laughs> Uh, be as as uh, uh, beneficial and helpful to their understanding as they are to me using their scanner. Does that make sense? It does. It does. And so, tell me about how Phenomics has has emerged uh, from that background. And that's it's really good context to have. But what actually is Phenomics? What what is it that you're doing with uh, with this new organization? So with Phenomics, uh, we've moved away from the uh, wider variety of imaging modalities from the clinical trial background and experience. Mm -hmm. And uh, my other business partners uh, are also biomedical engineers, uh, having worked at Samsung, GE, uh, medical device industry, project management experience, and things like that. So we have that foundation, that uh, domain expertise. Mm -hmm. But rather than look at all of the different modalities, we've decided because of this uh, progression of the Uh, digital health field, uh, precision medicine as well, which I speak on frequently where we're taking the uh, imaging and adding it to all of the genomics, the radiomics, uh, and actually even beyond oncology into the uh, rare disease field. Mm -hmm. But um, we've gone ahead and and said, well, why don't we focus on MRI? Because it's non-invasive, no radiation. Mm -hmm. We're actually working on the majority of techniques without contrast agents, so no injection even. Uh-huh. And we said, can we take this modality, which where we can scan the body or the organs and tissues uh, frequently, 
can we create a digital physical exam where we're directly measuring major vital organs and tissues, but this time from a whole body perspective, uh, something that can be used uh, not as a replacement for the physical exam, but as Eric Topol has uh, referenced recently, uh, in addition to the touch, the feel, all of the other data gathering mm -hmm. and make it something much more useful, a different way to look inside and make measurements. But isn't it really hard to access the kind of equipment you need to do that? I mean, that's expensive stuff and it's, you know, sitting in radiology clinics and hospitals. How, how, how do you get access to that kind of equipment? So uh, it definitely is a highly complicated uh, scanner device and also because of culture for medical industry and uh, the administrative side of things, uh, how the, the imaging facilities work, uh, it is a bit difficult sometimes. But again, going back to that uh, uh, domain expertise, it's something where we've worked with them a lot. Uh, we know how to interpret the technology and, and translate it to the understanding so that they don't say, oh, this is going to be a five-hour scan and it's going to cost 15 grand. Uh, there, are definitely, uh, <laughs> there are definitely trends in the market that are changing things where uh, there are uh, price transparency, ownership of data, uh, other things that are happening where uh, I've even read, it's probably getting a little bit older now, um, some reporters have done stories on uh, going in to get an MRI scan, for example, and asking uh, at the point of payment, wait a minute, you know, how much is this going to cost if it goes through insurance? And you know, mm -hmm. the secretary looks it up, billing person looks it up, and it's $2,000, $3,000. And he says, just out of the light bulb moment, well, what if I pay by my credit card or, you know, out of pocket? And the price, lo and behold, becomes like six, $700. Well, mm. in those examples, and there's uh, one, I forgot the name of the facility, but uh, there's one facility uh, in the Midwest, and I'm sure there are more now, but uh, they have a, a charge sheet on their website, on their wall, that's like any MRI scan, $600. Uh, I know of several other larger you know, web, uh, web search tools um, that will give the price by zip code, by location. Uh, that have, you know, kind of a membership component where it is really actually inexpensive. So the imaging facilities can make uh, a profit not having to go chase down the reimbursement and give up the amount, uh, that higher amount um, because of that effort and actually, you know, do well because of the pay per use. Um, sure. When we utilize it, we're also implementing things like shorter, faster scans uh, because our goal, our two goals, uh, one, ideally, we'd like to use imaging as a screening tool because it's one of the only ways to actually look inside your body, mm -hmm. uh, we'd like to possibly look inside, make the measurements, and these are actually imaging biomarkers from our clinical trial days. Uh, mm -hmm. These aren't just you know, predictions and estimates and guesses. Uh, it's not just data science. We're actually working at the fundamental level of you know, measuring how much fat is in the liver or yeah. what is the volume of the hippocampus. So um, we want to use that to actually make actionable, decisive information that can help educate the consumer, the patient, whoever it is, and engage with their healthcare provider. Uh, ideally, we would even look at this being the allied uh, health team. Uh, for example, we've got a celebrity trainer in Beverly Hills that we're working with who on the most initial phase is interested in body composition, how much muscle uh, is someone gaining and how much fat are they losing? Let's say if they're bulking up for a role or just uh, slimming down for other reasons. That is something where they could measure and monitor that trajectory over an eight-week training period or something. 
And then wow. from there, it expands to, okay, well, uh, fatty liver is a silent disease. We could be young, thin, and healthy and not even know we have it. Uh, would our normal uh, annual physical or employee physical incorporate, you know, liver testing? If it's liver enzyme testing, uh, uh, blood work, uh, perhaps it's only really telling you about the function of your liver. It's not quantifying the amount of fat in your liver. So via MRI, we actually would then be measuring the amount of fat in your liver. Uh, that is something then you could, you know, uh, intercept the disease by uh, diet uh, and or exercise and do something about and that's that is, something that can replicate elsewhere. Sorry, please. Yeah, go. and that, no, that's really interesting. It, it, the, the thing is, it feels like what you're talking about is establishing a, you know, a benchmark um, you know, in, in a full body scan, but being able to repeat that on some at least semi-regular basis. I mean, are you going to have to start buying your own MRI machines and setting up your own clinics to do this much volume? Like how, how is that going to work? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, perfect question on a couple different notes because, uh, yes, the, the goal with uh, quantifying multiple organs and tissues is can we establish a baseline uh, for your body with as many different components as possible? And uh, let me say that now when we're doing it, we're doing it based off, the, off of the existing MRI infrastructure. Uh, we're actually using a biomarker approach. So we're getting very specific information about the organs and tissues. Uh, when we do that, we're actually looking to establish that baseline and be able to repeat it. Uh, but because we're doing things like a five minute brain scan to be able to, to measure the volume and track over time, that makes it much faster, much more efficient. And our goal becomes, can we actually incorporate more of these organs and tissues? Uh, we look at the most precious time being that time in the scanner because of our background and experience. So let's say you tear your ACL skiing or playing tennis or mm -hmm. just walking or hiking. Uh, you go into the MRI scanner and if it's a 30 minute scan, you're only imaging that one inch little ligament because mm -hmm. after the physical exam, you know, the orthopedics is saying, yes, your knee's loose, but perhaps we need to image it to decide, is it partially torn, fully torn? Do I need to replace it? So if you're in that scanner, well, then you miss the opportunity to do the baseline, check your brain, check your heart, check your liver, because what happens if something develops in three months, six months, nine months? Sure. If you develop symptoms, well, then you're already progressing down that, that uh, uh, disease condition uh, pathway. And then the imaging that's done will be uh, after the fact. So in combining, let's say, a la carte at first, because when we image something like the brain and make the measurements, we're specifically looking for the volume of the subregions, the volume of the hippocampus. Mm -hmm. We're not saying we're going to look at every single possible condition in the brain, the microbleeds or the fuzzy lesions. Uh, at, at least for now, we're leaving those to the experts, the radiologists who have the yep. experience in that. We're not looking for headline news grabbing articles where some tech company has figured out a way to beat a radiologist, but then how come you don't see them uh, dominating the medical imaging AI market the same way they right. do search? So we're using that stuff, data science, uh, for automation, at least for now. We will look at and evaluate the other things later because our second tenant is uh, multiple organs, multiple tissues. Uh, as I know, some uh, other physicians are now interested in the whole omic approach and also imaging as data, because it's not just a picture. 
There's underlying right. information in the actual pixels and the image themselves, where even now, if you uh, have a heart problem and you see the cardiologist, you have a liver problem and you see the liver doctor, well, the referring physician has to interpret both of those if they actually get it, uh, get the reports in their medical record. Uh, right. But what we're looking to do by scanning both of those organs, ideally at the same time, is rather than the five variables and 10 variables that they're looking at separately now in the liver and the heart, uh, maybe there are an additional 12 and 14 that might give different indication as to uh, what the combinations are leading to earlier diagnosis, uh, different diseases and conditions, maybe even rare conditions. So that's our, our second tenet. Interesting. Okay, so we're going to pick this up when we come back from a break. We are going to take a quick break, but stick around because we're going to be right back with Mark Pugnanita on DataPoint. All right, we are back on DataPoint. We're talking today with Mark Pugnanita, the CEO of Phenomics. Mark, when we went into the break, you were talking about something that's really interesting. Um, a patient that has a, a scan of heart and a scan of liver that are being looked at by separate specialists. But at some point, that the, the primary care doctor, the doctor that's the, the referring physician, is going to need to be able to interpret both of those things and ideally at the, be able to do that um, contextually so that the, the uh, connection between the two is actually made. Can you tell us a little bit more about how that happens and, you know, maybe even the ability today for uh, referring physicians to interpret that kind of data if they had it? Uh, yes, two good points and questions here. Where um, So when we're doing our imaging, uh, we're very specific in doing quantitative imaging. So rather than uh, taking just a picture, and uh, it's not to simplify it, but uh, in general, the first look from the radiologist uh, or the technologist that leads it up to the radiologist is what does the anatomy look like? Mm -hmm. uh, if they make measurements, they certainly use some of the tools on the scanner uh, or workstation. And certainly there are plenty of other companies out there, AI or not AI enabled, uh, developing their own biomarkers that do similar quantitative information. But uh, I think for us, when we start with the standardization and the breakdown to get deeper into the information in the image, it's, uh, for example, taking multiple images of the same anatomy or, mm -hmm. you know, it's a piece of fruit. Uh, we're taking different images at different settings of the MRI scanner and being able to uh, offload it from the scanner and process it using different algorithms, not necessarily the uh, fancy uh, machine learning, deep learning type algorithms to figure out what's in the image, but algorithms that have been peer reviewed, published and validated. Uh, we do a lot of curation of the data uh, where our past experience have utilized radiologists to mm -hmm. trace and measure different organs. Uh, when we add and subtract these images, they actually give us results and values, uh, either imaging data, what is the, the change in the signal of, let's say, uh, homogeneous healthy liver tissue versus the signal is different when it's 25% fat or 50% mm -hmm. fat in the liver. And okay. so we then take that and either go off of the imaging parameter, the imaging data itself, not necessarily something that uh, you're looking at uh, compared to the amount of fat in the liver. So there can be the fat signal versus the imaging signal that when, when we start to process it, 
uh, it becomes indicative of is there inflammation in this tissue or this mm. organ? Is there fibrosis? So it starts to expand the amount of information you can get just looking at the image. Uh, sorry, not looking at the image, looking at the heat map, which we produce right. that looks like an image. So it can be color coded. It can have the whole scale of different colors as opposed to just the black and white scale. And that's not unique to us. Everybody uh, else that does image processing uh, utilizes it uh, in, in some form. But uh, we're really wanting to, let's say, uh, going back to that uh, comparison to blood biomarkers and things like that. You know, mm -hmm. yes, uh, maybe there's a blood biomarker. And uh, let me preface this by saying uh, I acknowledge that imaging is not the be all end all answer. We have had discussions in the past with other blood testing companies to talk about collaboration and combined predictive scores, things like that. Mm. Because if a blood test is better at, at uh, identifying there's a separation of inflammation versus fibrosis, and in this case for uh, fatty liver and uh, NAFLD NASH, um, well, that's a great uh, staging and grading. But because it's a circulating biomarker, it doesn't tell you about how the specific anatomy looks, where if you can imagine this, we're scanning the liver in 3D. We don't want to just reduce that to a number and pass it off. We mm -hmm. want to say, you know what? Now the radio the number we can pass off to the radiologist. So if we want to, if they want to reduce their time instead of having to make their own measurements and say, well, you know what? This is 15% liver fat. It's over the threshold for fatty liver. Boom, there they go. They they push that forward for the referral. Uh, but if they want to explore it and use that experience and expertise and say, you know what? This isn't. 15% homogeneous throughout the entire liver. It's starting to collect in the left lobe or right lobe, or there's mm -hmm. inflammation around the portal vein. This is becoming inflamed uh, as a mass, maybe fibrotic, you know, this could be leading to uh, what hepatocellular carcinoma. And this should be referred on and something should be done about it in advance. And I will say that, you know, this is a case where the personal story touches. So my dad had uh, the orthopedic surgeon retired he developed uh, uh, liver cancer and had to go through all the Im imaging, chemoembolism, and uh, surgery to have his liver resected. And the whole time I was saying, you know what, Dad? <laughs> I'm an imaging expert. I do these clinical trials. Can, we, can, can I be part of your team to just even uh -huh. listen and learn? Can, can I get hold of the images? And uh, that was not quite so successful. So um, <laughs> very intriguing uh, insight. So it's, it's a very, it's a good example of how your team can work to bring out the, you know, to leverage your expertise and, and the expertise of the, um, the radiologist as well, to be able to, to go that extra mile. Um, it, it, it's, it's, it's a, it's a good contextual example. Um, I, one of the things that's going through my mind here, Mark, as we're talking about this is what you're, ta what you're talking about feels like it would be really hard to do in the U.S. market simply because our healthcare system is so fragmented. Um, you know, the, the business interests are all over the place between different hospitals and different medical practices and even the, you know, the companies that are uh, manufacturing the uh, equipment that you're using, all that kind of stuff. I know that you're doing some work outside the U.S. as well, and you talked in our uh, as you're introducing yourself about the fact that you're uh, in Thailand and have been spending a lot of time there. Can you tell us a little bit about what's going on outside the U.S. that might look a little different than what you're experiencing here? Uh, absolutely, and I'll say uh, with the whole progression of, of digital health, and I think uh, collaboration for uh, the latest uh, progress in digital health is a, a, a big marker. 
Uh, we are extremely collaborative, so I appreciate your uh, kind of acknowledging our, our different take and view on it. Um, since we're uh, collecting body parts, if you will, uh, I'm always very interested in evaluating other companies. And you know, sometimes when people ask me about competition, I usually end up saying, well, wait a second, let me go talk to them because uh, we have some very interesting use cases. We have some very interesting reasons for doing what we're doing. And uh, more often than not, the perceived competition or the people that I speak to end up saying, oh, uh, could you, uh, could we collaborate with you? Could we partner with you? And you know, uh, nowadays, especially with so many people uh, from the data science and almost just technology perspective, working on open source data and uh, being able to start uh, startup a, a new company, whether it's Europe, Asia, Middle East, Australia, uh, let's say somebody's developing a, a new algorithm for the lung. Uh, if we don't have something like that, you know, the traditional build or buy question, then I'm very interested in partnering with them, being very collaborative. And, you know, we can supply them with more lung scans or prostate scans or mm. something else. So we would be very interested in collecting all these pieces and making it a better whole holistic solution, if you will, um, while also supporting, you know, other people doing the much deeper uh, single organ and tissue focused work. Now that leads into the aspect where, yes, in the U S market, uh, we're seeing early adoption. Uh, we have a celebrity trainer in, in Beverly Hills that we're working with. Um, but uh, going abroad, I'll give the example where I don't translate the language. Both of my parents are from Thailand and I was born in the US. Uh, hmm. So I don't translate the language in Thailand, but uh, like I'm translating science, technology, and medicine, I'm translating some of this innovation ecosystem, uh, uh, commercialization, innovation to uh, Asia and, you know, seeing all of my travels and, uh, coming just from the, uh, ecosystem in London, France, mm -hmm. Switzerland, and, and the Middle East, um, we're actually seeing quite a bit of, of adoption and interest, uh, having over the past year been commuting, uh, at least every month. Um, I've, I've canvassed, uh, about 15 different hospitals here in Thailand, uh, some of the remote regions even, and we have really been seeing because they have a public health system, uh, they have medical tourism and a familiarity with uh, a health screening. Uh, even in the combination of a two-tiered system, uh, Singapore, Japan, uh, Southeast Asia, a lot of the other uh, medical tourism uh, high end that, that comes down to this area, everybody's mm -hmm. quite used to going to a doctor, even being bussed in, standing in a line, and getting basically your full medical workup. Now, what's the use of it? Do they just take it and go? We've got a, a, another uh, advisor that we work with in this region who says, you know what? I, he's a firm believer in all the digital health solutions, continuous mm -hmm. glucose monitoring, the aura ring, you know, everything. And he sure. says, I don't want to practice transactional medicine. I don't want to have the, the client come in here and just gather the data and leave me. Uh, I want it for continued patient engagement to be able to uh, identify that baseline. I want the data acquisition to continue so that I can see if like white coat syndrome or uh, having higher blood pressure or higher glucose at one point in time compared to whichever norm. Is it a global norm? Is it a Caucasian US norm? Or is it a, mm. a, an ethnic uh, Asian norm? Uh, does this person actually sit outside of that? Do they just on a more continuous basis, even with a tighter variability, 
actually have a higher you know, blood glucose or blood pressure throughout the duration. Remote data monitoring, real world data, these are all things to you know, be utilized. Well, how about we use imaging for some of that too, for looking at that uh, uh, hippocampal volume change over time for dementia, mm -hmm. the fatty liver uh, change with uh, disease or intervention, uh, cardiovascular, things like that. So we are, um, yes, having, having a lot of interest at multiple levels, private so imaging you, facility, hospital, and um, ministry of science. So when you talk about wanting to have that, um, that view over time, is there an implication there that, you know, the patient is going to come in once a year for their physical and, you know, over a period of years, the data will be built up to see change over time? Or are you talking about something more than that? Um, it can be more than that. Uh, I think what we're trying to do is uh, tailor it to the end user, the multiple stakeholders, uh, at least at the inception. Uh, mm -hmm. Being able to image more frequently uh, as well, possibly even more remotely in coming from the UK uh, conference and, and uh, a lot of talk of genomics and uh, UK Biobank, which does include imaging, uh, quite comprehensive imaging. Uh, mm -hmm. With that, there's still a little bit of inherent bias in that it's healthy and wealthy and uh, uh, limited uh, uh, diversity mm -hmm. uh, versus um, what we're what we've been discussing doing in Thailand, whether it's uh, at those different levels that I mentioned, um, they're looking at possibly doing some individual biobanking, some national biobanking, even dementia screening, and being able to take that out into the remote regions into the remote population. And when you mentioned uh, MRI scanning hardware, yes, at least for now, we are working on the existing MRI infrastructure. But mm -hmm. everything I've told you so far is just a pure software as a service solution. We're basically taking the MRI machine and making it a dumb machine. Technically advanced, but some of the new things that can be done are remote controlling the device, uh, mm -hmm. standardizing, offloading the data, and what will be happening in the near future, 18, 24, maybe 36 months off, not five years, 10 years down the line, is uh, several different, I actually just saw a, a news article on a, a new portable MRI, um, I think in uh, New Haven. But uh, portable no MRIs. Yes. Oh, wow. So I, yeah, MRIs. you think of the, about these things that take up a whole room plus. Yes. That's pretty amazing. I won't say... Uh, I, I certainly would have to do more uh, digging into the latest research, but um, you know, I'm not going to go so far as to say the, the tiny health kiosks and things like that yet. But um, knowing that there have been portable head only CTs, uh, the possibility even developed just in Thailand for distribution in Thailand, uh, I think they are actually developing a, a new infrastructure. They have a whole uh, Thailand 4.0 mission to change an innovation economy. So a perceived gap in technology and education, uh, I think is something that they can leapfrog, just like, you know, going to all mobile banking and uh, giving and not even developing physical banking infrastructure, let's say in Africa, or, you know, everybody going to iPad or, you know, tablets and phones instead of uh, laptops and, and computers. Um, portable MRIs, not just the 18 wheeler taking a traditional MRI and having to just put it in somewhere mobile that takes a week to set up. Uh, right. These are things that would be liquid nitrogen instead of liquid helium, which is in short hmm. supply, uh, being able to turn on and turn off, uh, having a smaller footprint in the back of a white box truck or a van, 
um, the remote control, uh, even looking at whole body image acquisition, because that same concept becomes, well, rather than the current standard of care, you see the neurologist, he wants the brain, you see the cardiologist, she wants the heart, you see the hepatologist for the liver. Well, if they need that, then why not acquire as much data as possible? We can reconstruct mm -hmm. the brain, the heart, the liver for their specific needs, but then the entire data and the baseline is there. So in contrast to, let's say, UK Biobank, uh, the potential for Thailand could be uh, a, a full public or private uh, cloud system, maybe it's 5G even, uh, where these portable MRIs could go out into literally the desert, the jungle, and the mountain. Not so much desert here, but you know, other, other uh, right. regions. Um, but actually looking at that remote hill tribe or jungle village, getting a true capture of the population, even if it's only a sample of the population, there is so much more powerful stuff that we can do with the future of healthcare, future of medicine uh, by doing things like that. That is fascinating. And it's, it looks like another possibility perhaps for the developing world uh, to leapfrog uh, the current standard of care uh, by really rethinking it from the ground up. That, that is fascinating. Um, that's, Mark, uh, I, that's, I, sorry. No, please go ahead. Oh, uh, so that's an interesting point that you make there because uh, I happen to meet uh, some very high representatives from the WHO and uh, the WEF, the World Economic Forum in Basel last month. And uh, someone had, had asked or mentioned um, about educating their remote health, their remote workforce, uh, trying to give them a little bit more of the medical uh, education. And I actually thought given some of the whole debate and question right now going on about how is technology coming in and trying to manage medicine? Uh, I actually took this uh, this person's uh, remote education uh, perspective of, well, how about we not have to educate them as much? How about we use technology for the technology purpose, not the medicine purpose, mm -hmm. and do something like a remote controlled scanner, something that acquires the whole data. And because of the developments for telehealth, teleradiology, things like that, then it mm -hmm. could be exactly like you said. It could very much change what happens on the front line. And uh, as at the UN General Assembly, it turned out the uh, Thai prime minister was uh, at the assembly in New York. Uh, the same week I was in Thailand uh, talking uh, to Thailand. Um, and they were talking about the whole uh, uh, healthcare for all initiatives, uh, strategic development goals. So very interesting points that you reference. And uh, I, I am very interested to see where all of this goes. Absolutely. Well, it's hard to believe, but we actually have burned through a half an hour. I could do this uh, all day. Um, yeah. But given that it's quite late at night where you are, uh, I think we're probably best to uh, cut it short. But I definitely would love to be able to pick this ball back up with you, Mark, uh, as things develop, because clearly things are happening pretty fast. Um, I want for our listeners to be able to connect with you and Phenomics. If people want more information about the company and the work that you're doing, what's the best place for them to go? Sure. So for me, um, on Twitter, it is uh, M-A-R-K-P-U-N. Um, the website is Phenomics, P-H-E-N-O-M-X dot co. And my email would be Mark, M-A-R-K at Phenomics dot co. Fantastic. I will put all that information on our show notes. So in case you're driving your car while you're listening to this and can't write it down, it's going to be there for you. Uh, Mark, thank you so much for taking the time, especially in the midst of a really, really hectic week to spend some time with us. It has been uh, a lot of fun. 
uh, and I know people are really going to enjoy uh, having learned about phenomics. Well, I enjoy it too. Thank you very much for the opportunity and happy to follow up anytime. Thanks so much for listening to the Data Point podcast. If you like what you've heard, please do rate, review, and share it with your social network. It means a lot. And if you have ideas for show topics or guests, please email them to me at greg at healthquant.health or send a direct message to at Chai Moose on Twitter. That's C-H-I-M-O-O-S-E on Twitter. For more information about this show or any of the terrific healthcare podcasts in the Touchpoint Media Network, check them out at touchpoint.health. See you next time.